Glory to Jesus Christ, Annunciation Byzantine Catholic Parish presents Light of the East, a program revealing how the Eastern Catholic Churches have nourished the Roman Catholic Churches and today's world in profound ways through their history, traditions, mysteries, and spirituality. Hello, I am Father Thomas J. Loya, pastor of Annunciation of the Mother of God Byzantine Catholic Church in Homer Glen, Illinois, and this is the story of the Eastern Churches, an inspiring story of faith courage, intrigue, mystery, spirituality, dissension, and reconciliation. But most of all, this is an expression of a great experience of faith through our unique divine liturgy. Join with me now as we look toward the Light of the East. Light of the East is also supported by the iconography of Father Thomas J. Loya. Father Loya's iconography for your prayer and home devotion may be obtained by going to MorningstarBooksAndGifts.com That's MorningstarBooksAndGifts.com Then click on the Art and Decorative link and click on Icons in the drop-down or call 630-629-1720 Morningstar Books and Gifts 28 West St. Charles Street, Lombard, Illinois And by EasternChristianMedia.com A broadband network for you to learn more about the Eastern Catholic Churches. That's EasternChristianMedia.com Glory to Jesus Christ. Welcome to Light of the East. I'm Father Thomas Loya, and you're hearing the mournful sounds of the beginning of the great fast, the bright sadness of Lent in the Byzantine liturgical calendar. We begin our Lent today, actually, this afternoon or this evening, with what's called the Cheese Fair Vespers, or the Sunday of Forgiveness Vespers. And you heard the mournful chant of the psalm by the waters of Babylon, which the Jewish people sang when they were held captive in Babylon, and their captors were asking them to sing, sing for them, kind of entertain them. And the Jewish people were saying, no, we can't sing because we are in exile. And isn't that, in a sense, our song too? Are we not, at the same time, in exile spiritually? Certainly we are spiritually, but also in a certain sense with recent events and the pressures of the world upon the church and those who believe, both East and West, we do at the same time, now, especially now, in these times, share with those people of the Bible our own sense of being in exile. And so we sing this chant with a certain special fervor, I think, this year, unfortunately. But as always, where there is darkness, there is brightness. The light shines brighter in the dark, and I'm happy to bring about this little piece of light here on our program, Light of the East, and that is the fact that our Orthodox brethren have joined with the Catholic Church in protesting the infringement of religious liberty by the Department of Health and Human Services. We've talked about that last time, and we're continuing to follow this because it is a pivotal issue that transcends even East and West. It's an issue that transcends even the church just the issues of the church, it encompasses and affects people of all persuasions in America. But the church is at the point of the sword. The Assembly of Canonical Orthodox Bishops of North and Central America, which is comprised of the 65 Canonical Orthodox Bishops in the United States, Canada, and Mexico, 
join their voices with the United States Conference of Catholic Bishops and all those who adamantly protest the recent decision by the United States Department of Health and Human Services and call upon all the Orthodox Christian faithful to contact their elected representatives today to voice their concern in the face of the threat to the sanctity of the Church's conscience. In this ruling by Health and Human Services, religious hospitals, educational institutions, and other organizations will be required to pay for the full cost of contraceptives, including some abortion-inducing drugs and sterilizations for their employees, regardless of the religious convictions of the employers. The First Amendment of the U.S. Constitution guarantees the free exercise of religion. This freedom is transgressed when a religious institution is required to pay for contraceptive services, including abortion-inducing drugs and sterilization services that directly violate their religious convictions. Providing such services should not be regarded as mandated medical care. We, the Assembly of Canonical Orthodox Bishops, call upon the Health and Human Services Secretary Sibelius and the Obama administration to rescind this unjust ruling and to respect the religious freedom guaranteed all Americans by the First Amendment. So again, that was a statement by the Orthodox Churches, the canonical Orthodox Churches of North and Central America, which again is comprised of the 65 canonical Orthodox bishops in the United States, Canada, and Mexico. And they're joining their voices with the Catholic bishops, which, of course, is a good thing ecumenically, but also in terms of civilization. We have to understand that civilization is at stake here. And so I think that we do sing this mournful song of exile in a way with maybe greater fervency this year more than ever before, at least up to this point, I believe, which also makes the fact that we're entering Lent very providential as well. I don't know about you, but I can't wait for this Lent. I couldn't wait for it because I know we needed it. Like the people of, uh, of Nineveh who had to fast and wear sackcloth and ashes and repent to stay the hand of God for the punishment that they probably deserved. That's what Jonah felt. Jonah thought that they should have been punished. He couldn't understand why God did not punish them. And God said, well, because they repented. They sincerely repented and fasted and wore sackcloth and ashes. And so too must we, on behalf of ourselves, first personally, first of all, of course, but also on behalf of the nation, of the world, and of our church, our family, everyone. The world needs repentance. The world needs humbling. The world needs to move away from a lot of this narcissism. And that's precisely why we enter into Lent the way we do, especially in the Eastern churches. Today, as I mentioned, is called Cheese Fair Sunday or the Sunday of Forgiveness. It's called Cheese Fair because this is the last day that we eat dairy products. Last week, you recall, was our Mardi Gras. It was the last day that we eat meat products so that we enter into the rigors of the fast, the great fast as we call it, having gone through it, up to and into it, sort of entered into it in stages, gradually, because that's a very human thing to do. It's not good to do things suddenly, you know, to shift gears, to kind of strip gears, or to, to go cold turkey. It's better, a much better rhythm, as it were, to move into something, experience it, and then move out of it gradually, and then kind of recycle again, as the church liturgical calendar does. It always has a kind of a rising action, a kind of a warm-up period, a pre-festive, or a preparation period for the fasting period. Then there's the actual intensity of the period itself, whether it's a feast day, or it's a fast day, or it's a period of fast, like Lent, and then we gradually move out of it with a post-festive or uh, successive days of fasting, and then we move into the ordinary time, only then to recycle again. So there's a beautiful rhythm about the liturgical calendar. It's actually very human. It's very natural. And that's what's so great about being involved with church, being involved with the liturgy of the church, its natural rhythms, which are natural human rhythms. On this day of Cheese Fair Sunday, as I mentioned, we give up dairy products. And again, I'm talking about the, in a sense, the stricter 
version of the fast. It, to observe the fast this strictly is voluntary. However, there are certain prescriptions that are required by all. Certainly, it's things like giving up meat and dairy products on Wednesday and Fridays of Lent. If, of course, your health does not preclude you from doing that, especially if you're elderly. But the call is for all to do penance especially fasting and increased prayer. But the tradition, and the one that I like to promote the most, is the one where we give up meat and dairy products throughout all the season of Lent. And we move into that gradually, as I mentioned. But this is not something that we do on its own. We never just fast on its own. Fasting is called an ascetical discipline, which means it's a discipline of saying no to self, especially to the power, the strength of our passions, you know, our fallen passions, our appetites, We'll hear a lot about that in our prayers, about gluttony and lust. It's saying no to those passions, you know, the fallen side of them, and yes to our true selves. And that requires not only a process of saying no, but a process of abstaining from things, and also at the same time, a process of increased prayer and charity. See, the three must always go together. You never just do one. Otherwise, all you're doing is trying to lose weight or something. You know, you're going on a diet. A lot of people look at Lent and say, well, I'll fast and I'll go on a diet, I'll lose weight. Well, that may be a nice sort of offspring from it, but the intent is not just to go on a diet. Fasting is not a diet. Abstinence and fasting are not a diet. Ascetical disciplines are not diets. They're not done for their own sake. They're always done to open ourselves up, to strip away the old self, the false self, so as to open ourselves to our real selves, which means ourselves who are people of prayer and of charity. So you see, the three go together prayer, fasting, and almsgiving, or the words of charity. We're going to look at the aspects of prayer, fasting, and charity as it is practiced in the Eastern churches, not only today, but throughout Lent, because Lent is very rich. We cannot exhaust it, at least not from the Eastern perspective. We cannot exhaust it in one program here in Light of the East, but we'll start to look at the different aspects. Let's take fasting, as I mentioned. Why do we fast? Well, fasting and abstinence are things that were practiced in the scriptures. Even Jesus Christ fasted when he went off into the desert. Moses fasted. The period of fasting is a period in which we pull back, not only, especially, of course, from foods, but also from anything at all that has any kind of power over us. That's why we so-called give up things during Lent. And we, when we give up things, it's not just to give them up, only to return to them again after Lent. Well, you can. But the idea is to return to them, if you wish, at your own choice. In other words, you develop power over it. You just don't say, well, I gave that up. I kind of did that thing. Now I return to it. The idea is that after Lent, you ask yourself, do I need to return to it? How should I return to it? Should I return to it in the same way I used to partake of it, whether it's a food or activity, whatever? You see, you can abstain from a number of things, food first and foremost. But the Eastern fathers of the church believe that if you could conquer the passion of gluttony, you know, of, of our stomach, you know, the power of our stomach, and the power of lust, you could conquer anything. And so that's why they started off with fasting and abstaining from foods, because obviously it is a very powerful urge in us. So we abstain from food so as to make us stronger to abstain from other things. You see, it's very integrated. If you can overcome the power of one thing, it helps you overcome the power of another. And one of the reasons for that is because where we are fallen in one area, we are fallen also in another area. This is especially true with addictions. We're never really addicted just to one thing, especially when there is a case of severe addictions. It generally 
is kind of a package deal. There's generally other kinds of addictions as well. So the fathers are very smart, especially in the Eastern Church, those monks. They knew, they knew human psychology. They knew human physiology, and of course they knew the spiritual life, but they knew that if you could fast and break the power of gluttony, you know, of our craving for food, it would lead us to breaking the power of other kinds of passions as well. We're going to talk more about prayer, fasting, and almsgiving in the Eastern Church during the great season of Lent when we return. I'm Father Thomas Leo on Light of the East. Light of the East mission is Christianity's reunion. And to tell the story of the Eastern lung of the Catholic Church, we need your support in order to keep Light of the East on the air. You can make a donation now by going to byzantinecatholic.com. That's byzantinecatholic.com. Click on the radio button and then donate securely using any major credit card. With your help, we can keep Light of the East's illumination bright. Here's a Light of the East programming note. Since this program was recorded, the Obama administration offered a so-called accommodation in the HHS mandate to the Catholic Church and its related institutions. Now, as a result, the United States Conference of Catholic Bishops on February 10th called for a renewed effort to change the HHS-imposed mandate that violates religious liberty. Visit the USCCB website to follow the latest on this attack on religious liberty at usccb.org. That's usccb.org. And learn what you can do to defend the nation's religious liberty. Have you ever heard of a Byzantine Catholic? Hello, I am Father Thomas J. Loya with an Eastern Catholic Moment. Pope John Paul II said that the Church must breathe with both its lungs, East and West. The Catholic Church is composed of various rites and jurisdictions within these rites. The Byzantine Rite is one of the rites from the Eastern Lung of the Catholic Church. The Latin Rite is a rite of the Western Lung of the Catholic Church. Over time, tensions arose between the two lungs of the Church and they finally split from each other in 1054 A.D. The Western Lung became known as the Roman Catholic Church, or Latin Rite, and it was centered in Rome. The Eastern Lung became known as the Eastern Orthodox Churches, and they had four centers, Alexandria, Constantinople, Antioch, and Jerusalem. Beginning in the 15th century, parts of the Eastern Orthodox Churches and the Latin Rite began reuniting again, thus creating what we know today as the Eastern Catholic Churches. To find out more about the Eastern Lung of the Church, go to easternchristianmedia.com. You're listening to Father Thomas Loya on Light of the East. There is no such thing as a homosexual. I am Father Thomas J. Loya with a Theology of the Body moment for the Tabor Life Institute. The language of our bodies says that our bodies were created for the other gender. In this sense, there is really no such thing as a homosexual. There were only persons worthy of dignity and respect who through no fault of their own believe they have a sexual attraction to the same gender. It is not compassionate, sensitive, or honest to size someone up, label them, and dismiss them. This is why the church, who is truly compassionate, does not label people homosexual. The church calls same-sex attraction a disordered attraction. This simply means that the attraction did not develop according to the order of creation and to the language of our gendered bodies. But hey, unless you are the Blessed Virgin Mary, every human being, thanks to original sin, is in some way sexually disordered. To find out more about the theology of the body, visit TaborLife.org. TaborLife.org.
Welcome back to Light of the East. I'm Father Thomas Law, your host, and we're talking about this great season of Lent that we've just entered into in the Eastern Church. Remember, in the many Eastern calendars, Lent begins this evening, which is Sunday evening, the Sunday of Forgiveness, or Cheese Fair, and which is actually three days before, two and a half days, essentially, before Ash Wednesday. So the Western Church begins on Ash Wednesday, the Eastern Churches begin on Sunday evening, or it becomes essentially Monday. And we begin with a wonderful, profoundly moving service called the Forgiveness Vespers, where we liturgically take on the posture of Adam, standing outside the gates of paradise, begging to be led back in. And it's a ceremony of forgiveness as well. So we call it Forgiveness Sunday, or the Forgiveness Vespers, in which we actually ask one another for forgiveness and embrace each other. Because we begin there in the church, asking forgiveness of one another. The people ask it of me, I ask it of them, we ask it of each other. And we go from there. See, it starts there, and we take it to our homes. You're supposed to go to members of your household and ask their forgiveness, and people in the workplace or wherever. We begin, Lend, by first asking for forgiveness. As we want God's forgiveness, as he says, of course, in the Lord's Prayer, we must first forgive others and be forgiven as well. So it's a forgiveness on the human level that then, of course, opens us up for forgiveness on the divine level, to have God's forgiveness, which is always there. It's always available to us. But what allows it to happen for us is our own choice to forgive and for others to forgive us. So we embrace each other. We take on the posture of Adam And we move into Lent with that kind of beginning. And during the service, the cantor sings as though softly, as though a distant echo, the same verses that we're going to sing on Easter Sunday. It's like, it's such a reassuring thing that during the Lenten service, which is very mournful and it's very powerful to forgive, you know, to ask forgiveness or to forgive, we enter into the depth of that, but at the same time, We have this echo of encouragement of the purpose of all this, the ultimate destiny, where all this is supposed to take us, and that is to the resurrection, where all is forgiven and renewed in the resurrected body of Jesus Christ. So the cantor in the Eastern churches sings softly the hymns of the resurrection while we are embracing each other, asking for forgiveness. So that is is the quintessential beginning of Lent in the Byzantine liturgical calendar, and that is the Sunday of Forgiveness, the Forgiveness Vespers. Now, as we mentioned oftentimes on this program, the way we pray is the way we believe. So we're going to look at some of the prayers for this week, for this day, and for tomorrow, and do a little bit of meditating on them, because they really are like meditations. The prayers of the Eastern Church are almost like, as a Roman Catholic priest friend of mine once said, when he was celebrating a liturgy, he said, you know, when I do these prayers at your liturgy, it's like I'm going on retreat. (laughs) That was very true and very insightful from a Latin rite brethren of mine. One of the prayers for Cheese Fair Sunday says this, Alas, I have been stripped of my divine garment by by transgressing your commandment, O Lord, and by following the counsel of the enemy. I am now clothed with fig leaves and the garments of skin, and now eat my bread by the sweat of my brow. And because of my fault, the earth is condemned to bring forth thistles and thorns. But you, O Lord, born of the Virgin in these last times, call me back to enter once again into paradise. Now, let's just look at that for a second here. 
Alas, I have been stripped of my divine garment by transgressing your commandments, O Lord, and by following the counsel of the enemy. I am now clothed with fig leaves and the garments of skin. Now, you'll notice in the prayers during Lent in the Eastern Church, we use a lot of imagery that has to do with being stripped, nakedness, and garment. Why is that? In the Eastern Church, the Eastern Fathers saw way back at the creation of man, what they say was our, in a sense, almost like our clothing, only it's our, was our clothing as a human person, was very pure, was very radiant. We were very much more spiritual than we are now. Somehow we had a constitution, they believe, that was closer to how we'll be in heaven, you know, a spiritualized body. When we sinned, that changed. And they said we took on then this garment of skin. In other words, it's like almost as though the body we have was something that was put onto us as a result of sin, this sort of fallen body that eventually dies and decays in the earth. So there's some kind of change, Eastern Fathers believed, in our constitution, the way we were made, the way we existed after sin, that there was something more pure and spiritualized, even about our bodies, about how we were as human beings. And then somehow that, that changed in a very physical way when we sinned. So they call this the garment of skin, which also refers to the fact that men had to wear skin. They had to wear clothing. Remember, Adam and Eve at the beginning, they did not wear clothes, and they were naked but with no shame. They were pure. They were sinless. Well, long came this changed body, and on top of that body, we put also animal skins because we were cold. We had to be protected And we had to protect each other from the gaze of lust, of immodesty. And so the fathers will use in our liturgical text this image of the garment, the garment of skin, stripped of my divine garment. In other words, how I used to look. I got stripped of that from sin, and I put on this less beautiful garment, as it were, less spiritualized. And on top of that, I have to put other garments as well to protect myself not only from the environment, but from the gaze of lust. You know, the purity of our sight to each other, man and woman, was broken, was changed, and turned to lust by sin. And so we have to cover up. We cover up out of shame and modesty. Okay, let's look at another text here. Adam sat before paradise, sighing and weeping over his nakedness. Alas, I was seduced by craftiness and stripped naked, and I am now separated from glory. Alas, in my simplicity I was naked, but now I do not know what to do. O paradise, never again shall I taste your glory, never again shall I see the Lord, my Creator and my God, for I must return to the earth from which I was taken. O merciful God, I cry out to you, I have fallen, have mercy on me. So again, there's that line about being stripped, and in this one it says, Alas, I was seduced by craftiness and stripped naked, and I am now separated from glory. In this case, nakedness refers to not just the fact that human beings were naked, but that how they began to see that after the fall. As I mentioned, Adam and Eve had to cover up because in the Garden of Eden, in Genesis, when they were innocent, the measure of their innocence, the measure of the harmony of creation was the innocence that they had in the way they looked at each other. They were naked and yet they were without shame. And then when they sinned, They looked at each other differently. Not only did they look at each other differently, they looked at all of life differently. They looked at it, as John Paul II said, with 
an eye of appropriation. In other words, oh, I like that. I want to use that. I want to take that to myself. I want that for my enjoyment, my own pleasure. Before, they could look at it and say, oh, that is gift. God is good. They didn't seek to appropriate it. They rather celebrated it and offered it back to God. That's what they did in the original innocence. That's what we do when we are innocent, when our gaze is pure and we have purity of heart. But that's a very difficult thing to attain, which is why we need the ascetical disciplines, especially of Lent. That's why we move into Lent, to try to regain that original vision, that original vision of purity of heart. We see everything as a gift in light of God. We offer it back to God in praise and thanksgiving. Before we conclude our program today, I just wanted to once again thank many of you who are listeners, especially our good friend Charles Cook, and also those of you who are serving time in prison. In fact, to visit you, as we hopefully do through this program, is one of the acts of charity that we're called upon, especially during Lent, one of the acts that will be judged upon, according to Matthew chapter 25. So I just want to thank you for listening. And also, I will begin Lent with all of you, as we do in my church, asking for your forgiveness. If any way I have let you down or offended you, or matter what I may have done or caused through my own weakness, please forgive me. And I want to thank you for listening. I'm Father Thomas Loya on Light of the East. Light of the East mission is Christianity's reunion. And to tell the story of the Eastern Lung of the Catholic Church, we need your support. In order to keep Light of the East on the air, you can make a donation now by going to byzantinecatholic.com. That's byzantinecatholic.com. Click on the radio button and then donate securely using any major credit card. With your help, we can keep Light of the East's illumination bright.